special episode, as always, I'm your host, LB, and joining me is CT. Good evening, everybody. So why is this episode special? Well, because we're debuting a new podcast series. Yay! As has been established on our other podcasts, myself and CT have a lot of useless anime knowledge in our heads, and we decide that we want to help spread that around by creating more anime fans, because the world can never have too many anime fans. Very true. Uh, so we decided to create this new show, it's called Otaku in Training, where we bring on two people who have watched very little anime in their lives and help train them up to the point where they feel like they're ready to go out and spread the good word of anime on their own, or they get sick of us, whichever comes first. Uh, so with that said, I'd like to introduce our two resident otaku in training, Bama and Brandon. So before we... Uh, get into things. Uh, today's subject is going to be the 2011 light and fluffy, wholesome, magical girl series, Madoka Magica. Hmm. Uh, and before we get into that, just to warn everybody, this will be a very spoiler-heavy podcast, so if you haven't seen the series yet, you're being warned now. But before we get into our series discussion, I want to go ahead and start with Bama. Bama, tell us about yourself. What's your background with anime and more specifically magical girl anime? Well, uh, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Um, my background with anime is, uh, I would call it spotty more than anything else. Uh, my first anime, I am totally, totally aging myself here, was uh, Battle of the Planets, and I was not very old. <laughs> um, some of y'all probably have no idea what I'm talking about, and that was uh, one of the first English translations of Gotchamon. I've watched a couple of episodes of Gotchamon dubbed since, and I'm like, whoa. Or no, not dubbed, subbed. <laughs> this is not how I remember <laughs> it when I was five. Um... Magical Girl anime, I was a huge Sailor Moon fan when it came out in the mid-90s. I actually was the leader of the Sailor Moon, the unofficial Sailor Moon fan club on my college campus. We've got pictures of us all cosplaying as our favorite characters. That's what I wanted for my uh, birthday, my like my 21st birthday, was uh, come as your favorite Sailor Moon character. So we all broke out the sewing machines and, and, and cosplayed everything. <laughs> I was and everyone showed up as Pluto. No, I showed up as Pluto. I, I, I claimed oh, Pluto. I get the best one. <laughs> it was my birthday. <laughs> it made sense. But, uh, you know, I got married and watching television at all is very, very social for me. I don't want to do it by myself. And my husband wasn't into it. He's now my ex-husband. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I come out of a a ten year marriage going, Wow, anime looks different. And <laughs> this, is my, this is my toe in the water to jump back into the pool. I promise I was really cool at one point. <laughs> right on. So all right, Brandon, same question for you. What's your background with anime and more specifically, what's your background with magical girl anime? Hey. All right. Well, so Magical girl anime is actually really simple because 
it's basically the same thing. Sailor Moon is basically the extent of my magical girl anime experience. Um, in terms of overall anime, I, you know, watched a little bit of the bigger shonen crossovers. So, you know, your Dragon Ball Z and things of that nature, but not a whole lot of it and not a lot else aside from shonen. Um, most of my Japanese experience comes from a lot of video games as a, you know, kid growing up through the 90s and, you know, Nintendo and PlayStation and all that. So a lot of my Japanese knowledge comes from that. And so I, I guess you could say I'm probably a weeb, but maybe not necessarily in a top. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'd say that's kind of where I'm coming from is uh, sporadically a little bit of shonen here and there. I read Death Note that one time. That was pretty <laughs> great. Um, and I watched a season of like Naruto. So kind of for both of you broadcast dubs from anywhere between the uh, mm-hmm. the early eighty or the you know the eighties when Gachaman would have been around through the through the nineties and a little bit turn of the millennium. That sure. would be accurate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I guess I really started with Pokemon because you know video sure. games. So and then Pokemon, I was I was like that age for Pokemon, so I, <laughs> I watched like the first two or three seasons of that pretty hardcore. Gotcha. That uh, that did sit in well. Did did you in fact collect them all? I had let's see, um, all the way through Gen Four, I had caught every monster in the games, and I didn't collect the cards for very long. But I did collect the entire one hundred and two base cards, including like the shiny Charizard and all that. So, unfortunately, those were lost to time because they would probably be worth a pretty penny at this point but that is for sure yeah so all right now that we've had a chance to get to know everybody get friendly with everybody let's go ahead let's start digging into the series itself before we start talking about it i'm curious and again i'm going to start with bama just because you're on top in on my screen uh but what did you know anything about this series beforehand had you ever heard of it before did you know anything about its reputation well when you mentioned it to me you said go in as cold as you can don't go researching it and i was a little nervous because my (laughs) best friend in the whole wide world college roommate i know what you're thinking but different college um (laughs) I, yeah, I went to four colleges. <laughs> anyway, yeah, my uh, my educational thing is is nearly as weird as my anime one. Um, no, she, uh, she had talked to me about a magical girl anime, and she knows that I don't care about spoilers, so she she told me quite a bit. And I gave her a quick call to say, "Hey, is this it?" And she said, "No, no, 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 no. This one I did see. I saw it in Japan." There were no subtitles, so we had no idea of what was going on, but we knew it was going to be bad, and it was, and it was good. And, uh, you know, after watching about half the series, I, I, I texted her back and said, I've watched the dub, and trust me, English doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> 
but that was it. That was that was the closest to uh, any warning that I got. Okay. Uh, how about you, Brandon? Did you know anything about this one before you started in on it? I literally had no idea. The The only thing I knew about it was when you posted it in the, the Discord and it popped up with a box art. I was like, wait, that girl got a gun? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that was literally everything I knew about it, except for it looked kind of vaguely Sailor Moon-esque. Um, so yeah, I, I was basically a blank slate going into it. Right on. Yeah, like I said, when I first recommended this in the chat, I did say, you know, go in as blindly as you can because there's a lot to digest in this series that's best done with a fresh mind without any kind of no you know pre-knowing what's gonna happen or how people reacted to it back in the day so i'm really glad to hear that you guys went into this one pretty much totally blind that is that is for sure you want to avoid much but it's fairly prominent so but this goes part of it uh you both talked about you know your history before but as far as weebness adjacency now, uh, uh, do you have anything? I know that we're you know bringing you in, but is there anything that you've kind of been attached to within the the year, the past year or so that you've either watched at all or just been exposed to in some fashion? I think Brandon, you mentioned uh, Attack on Titan, which does not surprise. Yeah, I mean, that was probably a little closer to a year and a half, two years ago. I actually, they had it at the library, and I actually picked up the, the manga and read, like, the first novel. And then I got to the end, and I was like, man, that kind of jumped the shark right out of the gate. So uh, <laughs> I was like, you know what, maybe this isn't what I'm looking for right now. I was looking for something a little bit uh, more low-key. Um, so, yeah, I did that. I You know, I, I saw a couple, you know, maybe a handful of episodes of, like, dbz uh db super um but no other than that like i haven't really engaged okay. in a manga so you, you you dipped a toe in and right back out yeah i mean <laughs> I, I did play persona recently which uh. i think was probably like a perfect complement to this because i think there are certainly elements from this that like inspired persona 5 in particular um which is kind of interesting but uh, aside that'll from be, that, not really. That'll be an interesting explorational. Uh, yeah. Bama, what, just with that question, what about you? Is this your first dip back into the water? Not entirely. My boyfriend and girlfriend's son, who is 19, uh, very gently introduced me to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> as gently <laughs> as that could happen. It's a very uh, gentle ride. Yes. But, uh, I, I can't remember which um, series it was, which season, but my favorite episode is still Let's Go Eat Italian Food, because that was exactly what it was about. And I'm sorry, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> he's also showed me, I'm very, very sorry. I am the world's worst with names and Japanese names are much worse than English ones, which is 
not to my credit, and I accept this, I cannot remember the name of the series. It's, uh, I think it's on Netflix, and it's about a gambling, a school where everybody is a compulsive gambler. Hakigurui. Quite possibly. I, I Yeah, that's exactly the one you're thinking of. Is it? Hot chicks. <laughs> yes, it's literally yes. compulsive <laughs> gambler. Yeah, very, very. Hot, hot chicks, crazy faces, gambling all, all night long. Yes. There's that one that one girl that had a thing for fingernails, and that was weird. <laughs> He's really sweet. I'm I'm very sensitive to violence, so there were several times in in both episodes where I would just turn my head away and just say, "Tell me when it's over." And he's like, "It's <laughs> it's censored, but but okay." <laughs> okay, that's that's good. To know generally just where you've both been at. And then I actually had one follow-up for LB specifically before we get in, because this was your suggestion uh, to watch, and I I feel like it was very explicit and you had no reservations and no other suggestions that you wanted to make. So from your perspective, why start uh with madoka magica the reason why i wanted to start with madoka magica is actually multiple reasons the first reason is that i just wanted an excuse to talk about it because this is the 10 year anniversary i had written a retrospective piece for j-list back in january but that didn't satisfy the itch i want to talk about this series more so it was partially kind of selfish in that (laughs) i just needed an excuse to talk about this especially with you because i know that you're also a big fan of this series and so yeah so that was part of part of it the other reason why is because i figured if we're gonna do this we might as well go all in and start with a bang and madoka magica was easily one of the biggest series of the last decade that influenced so many series after it that it just felt like a really nice monumental way to start this podcast series off and get us kicked off on the right foot i can agree with that i think by and large either this or possibly uh the monogatari series by shockingly (laughs) the same studio uh are kind of the the entry the entry point writ large to the 2010s in uh in the anime community so and uh the uh it it's certainly entering it with a with a bang as it were yeah, so that was the reason, those were the reasons why I decided on uh, Madoka first, is like I said, A, it's the 10-year anniversary, you know, it's a great excuse for us to talk, for us all to talk about it, uh, and also, again, because it was just so monumental back in the day, I remember, I'll briefly go over this but yeah i remember back in the day watching this on fan subs and just gripping my seat from week to week because it was just so amazing at the time and just blew me away but we will get into that more 
as we progress. Let's go ahead. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, CT, I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to you. For people who are only vaguely aware of this series, can you give us a brief story synopsis on what Madoka is uh, about? Well, I think you gave it all away in the beginning. It's a light and fluffy magical girl show <laughs> about uh, not giving up and making friends. And uh, <laughs> it's a. I don't believe a word he says. <laughs> <laughs> I think if they're listening to us in here, they're they're pretty much on the ball about it. I'm not. Uh, I know this word gets uh, pulled out a whole lot uh, when talking about Madoka Magic, which is subversion. Uh, which I'm not sure I want to use that as a lens to chat about it. It'll probably come up, but at the very least. It feels like a an askew entry point to uh, what one would expect from the magical girl genre. Discovering them, getting your little entry pet in here, talking about all of the uh, uh, you know the the good things, fantasizing about it, drawing your little cute outfit of what what will you do when you become a magical girl. But it it very it very immediately steeps you in a different tone, but it very uh, uh, quickly moves you down an adjacent path to it, and it becomes much more of a study about other things. Uh, and it's not like there haven't been other magical girl ones that are a bit more psychological and explorational, uh, but I don't really remember something before this uh, taking it down the uh, uh, what is it the the Sentai team path so uh, when we start we're in a, a another askew it seems like a near future earth uh, and we're uh, we get a, a prophetic dream of some sort or at least a very weird dream from our title character madoka she goes to school they have a normal school day with their floating desks and you know <laughs> weird little futury things uh and then you start getting after school things where they're introduced to uh, new characters, uh, your transfer student. <laughs> new, new tropes uh, enter, but they enter by way of shooting up a, a cute little pet begging for its uh, life. <laughs> and uh, Madoka sees the girl that she had just dreamed about and then sees her in school and then... Uh, they, they keep getting involved in the world around them, changing in weirder and weirder fashions uh, until they are introduced to the concept of magical girls and start exploring down the route of what it is to be one, what you do going on on hunts with uh, Mommy, who uh, who's the, the first one in full magical girl form they meet. There's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of creepiness, 
but there's a lot of uh, fun, frilly gloriousness uh, attached to the side of it. Uh, it. It's weird talking about the series. It's not like laying out a uh, let, let me lay out a plot synopsis to it. It's just kind of you're just going to start talking about it chronologically because there's not a whole lot of setup to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll it's get all in into the way the, the characters. It's all in the way the characters come in and how they're interacting with them, and the, the actual progression of of what's happening. So, uh, and again, most people coming in here know, you know, if they're if they're going to join a spoiler cast, then they know uh, they know the show. So yeah, so all right, let's go ahead. Let's start with the first block, uh, the first three episodes, because the first three episodes really set up sets up the tone of the series really well in my opinion uh i love how the first two episodes are you know happy and go lucky and they have the cute little ending theme song with the smiling characters in the background Mm -hmm. and then we get into episode three and the hammer drops so let's go ahead let's start with bama uh those first three episodes how much did it suck you in and how strongly did you react to episode three you're gonna have to be a little less numerical uh which one was episode three exactly sorry it's okay uh, episode three the list up i should have done that i guess no, it's fine. I'm sorry. I should have been more specific. Uh, I'm referring specifically to episodes one and two are the setup episodes when they introduce all the new characters. And then episode three is the one where mommy gets her head bitten off. I, okay, yes. I was very surprised that there was a death. That that surprised me a lot. And I was uh, curious to see exactly how they were going to go from there i want i was like okay so this is a lot more realistic than i was expecting how how realism are we going to get here are they going to show her absent from school are they going to have a funeral are they going to have a police investigation i was i was really kind of surprised and intrigued more than anything else um, I remember my notes from the first couple of episodes were this entire world is made of glass. <laughs> <Is everything Yeah. laughs> futuristic. I was like, okay, this, it looks like it's a school building, but the entire building is made of glass with these giant windows. Um, and I, w- I remember being very surprised at Cubay, uh, aforementioned best friend, has a stuffed Cubay. And I am no small amount of repulsed at how many times I have cuddled the Cube, not having any idea what the heck it was. <laughs> so <laughs> that that that's a tidbit. That was that was a reaction that I had. <laughs> so the your impression of Cube from the beginning was maybe a little off, but you know, the cute, helpful, magical girl, you know, the the Luna analog there was something weird and otherworldly about cube i am a fairy fanatic 
And Cubay almost immediately reminded me of the Fae. With the, the, the granting wishes. With this, you know, this facial expression that never changes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I absolutely love Cubay's, um, his look, or its look, their look. I, I, I never quite understood. They, they call Cubay him. Um, so okay. not not that it matters, but that does get used. Okay, I I loved his look because best I can tell, it never changed, but he got creepier and creepier with each to each time you saw him. And it wasn't <laughs> change at all. It was the same, you know, character, but the eyes got deader and deader without actually changing. But yeah, I, 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 I could tell there was something that wasn't uh, wasn't quite right about that. I think what I wrote was, oh, that's what Liv's critter is. Lots of cuddles. I, I, I thought it was adorable when I saw it as a stuffed animal. <laughs> right on. So, Brandon, what about you? What were your first impressions from those first couple of episodes? And then how did you react to the big moment, the big tonal shift in episode three when we had the death. So, uh, you know, I think actually for the first, after the opening of the first episode for through episode two and probably most of episode three, I was actually a little bit cool on the show because I, the way the show opens, like my first reaction after conditioning is I was like, man, this thing basically just opens up with, like, the JRPG finale boss fight, right? Like, <laughs> it just cuts to it, and you're like, bam! This big, like, godly boss monster of some kind. And it's like, yeah, she showed up anyways, if she's fighting as hard as she can. And so, like, in my head, like, I, I saw that, and I was like, man, okay, this is, like, really intense. And then it cuts, and it's just kind of like, you know, day in the life kind of for you know like an hour um and I, I just really didn't expect that after the opening um but like you were talking about subversion right like that that's very intentional like it's trying to set you up um and so it, it that cut i wasn't quite ready for it and then once uh mommy died like it all kind of clicked i was like oh okay i i kind of feel where this is going um and I mean, I didn't know quite to the extent that it was going, um, but I, it recontextualized the rest, you know, the rest of those, uh, the rest of that time in a way that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, I, I get a, when, when mommy died though, like part of me was also in a, yeah, but that's not going to stick kind of feeling, right? Like, <laughs> but it keeps, again, like it keeps setting you up, right? Like, I feel like you're supposed to go, oh, now I know what uh, Marika's um, wish is going to be, right? She's going to want to revive mommy or whatever. And I feel like that happens throughout the show where you're given a, a view of things happening around her to contextualize why you think she would wish for one thing or another. Um, and I, I think that was, that was kind of an interesting way of like examining what was happening in these people's lives. Um, I, I thought, yeah, so I thought it was kind of like a, a little bit of a dry opening, um, until it was really contextualized. 
So with uh, Madoka's, you know, that that first scene with Madoka's dreaming basically about Humbura and well, Burgisnak. I yeah. don't know if <laughs> that's yeah. kind of, I'm going to stumble over that forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you did it come across to you like it was an actual dream? Did it feel like an in media race like you were seeing what's going to end the show at the beginning? Did it feel either prophetic or uh, uh, how how did that come? Obviously, it's it's setting up stakes for it. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was. I don't know if I'd say it was prophetic, um, I, especially because of Cube, like the presence of Cube in that, and then sort of the prompt appearance of Cube later. Um, it did feel almost like Cube was setting up this dream that this was being presented by Cube to like wh- whether it was at the time or down the road, right? Um, so I did take it to be a dream, but I didn't take the dream to necessarily be uh, uninfluenced by something. Um, right. I don't know. It was a hell of an opening. God. <laughs> <laughs> so, CT, I want to ask you, at what point did you watch Madoka? Because I remember, I think I'm the only one in this cast who actually watched this series weekly as it aired. Uh, I believe you came into it a little bit later. I did come into it later. Um, I forget when. It was definitely very early in watching the stuff on Crunchyroll because I believe this was, you know, one of the things that was around there. So it was probably end of sometime in 2012 or, or 2013 that I would have watched it. So after the fact, it had a reputation. I didn't know specific spoiler parts because I wasn't, you know, in communities with people who were just going to be chatting about it and spoiling it. But I, at the very least, it's, you know, one of those things where I knew the reputation of it uh, and of uh, uh, the the writing of, uh, you know, Ura Butcher-esque. So there was, there was <laughs> enough that I knew from reputation that makes it hard to go through. And I do wish that I came to it as clean as possible, because then I might remember what exactly i was feeling and maybe it would sit in better so yeah that i i was going to pass a question back to to the uh the new folk as to um to me the tone of the labyrinths and the kind of you know paper cut uh uh animation strangeness to it it was definitely uh askew and i know that they try to present it very um brightly and cartoonishly in a way kind of like you're watching a, an animated show and they're experiencing something animated they're experiencing the equivalent to their world of us watching anime by entering the confines of these labyrinths because everything is uh, you know, not not animated at the same speed. It comes across. It it seems, you know, influenced by a, a much different art style. Which I, of course, 
love the the art style in particular uh so i i was curious how both of you felt about the way that the the labyrinth and the the witch domains uh were in in particular uh, uh tonally at least they were weird <laughs> uh, i i think i found them pretty unsettling early on uh after after probably the first three uh episodes or so like i kind of started to get used to them and be more interested in like what the things were doing because they they you know in episode three they actually linger in one of these labyrinths for a while um and i actually was kind of more interested in like what these things are actually supposed to be because clearly this you know there's something going on with these figures they're not just meant to be like kind of creepy in their weird sort of almost stop motion way of moving um and so like early on like just the oddly alien nature of these paper cutouts that should be kind of mundane like really <laughs> kind of messed me up a little bit i was like kind of freaked out by it uh until it really it it settled down a little bit and you could be like okay but what is this thing supposed to represent yes i i agree i remember the first time we saw a labyrinth commenting to my girlfriend i am not okay with the creepy little cotton balls the creepy <laughs> cotton balls yeah. are not yeah. my friends i am not okay with them <laughs> it was uh unsettling is a very good word and i i would uh, agree with that uh certainly i think that's why even if i didn't know it had a reputation the the presentation of Cube and the askewness of the witch labyrinths, even though there's, you know, nice stuff, it doesn't seem to be very threatening in uh, nature, even and especially the, the one that takes mommy's head off at the end of episode three. Uh, but it it feels very specific to. Uh, uh, letting you know that there's more under the surface going on here. Uh, yeah, it, of... oh, I was just going to say, it kind of, it seems like it's very, the way things are moving and how everything is fake, for lack of a better term, almost makes it feel like it, I mean, it is trying to represent a sort of a broken psyche, right? Like, the, the things aren't working the way they're supposed to anymore. The things you're seeing are not clear. They're almost like obscured by like, oh, are you looking at what's on the paper or the shape? Like uh, this whole thing, how do you interpret what it's supposed to be? And so like taking all of that together, you're seeing like a very, um, again, it's like a, it's broken, but like also kind of impure and um distorted right like it's broken and distorted and it manages to capture that i think really well Def definitely i i think the impact is would have been strong enough for me at that point to be scouring 
everything for okay what what's the hook what what's going on here my my general nerd paranoia uh for something and of people who i have introduced this uh to including my mother uh she's like i didn't trust that runt for a second uh completely uh uh you know messes people up from the beginning so uh, you still aren't going to expect it i don't think uh going in generally some people will but uh you know the extent of where they're going to maybe it'll be darker maybe it'll be weirder but it won't necessarily involve you know opening present character getting killed that early on uh and uh bama you mentioned before that you're not you know that that you're averse to graphic violence or or that kind of thing and in other stuff that you've watched so was there anything in particular that you reacted to by way of that ending uh or not did it like how did it come across yeah with mommy at the at the end of episode three i think the best way to describe that is to say that i have just learned in the past 15 minutes that she was beheaded i literally didn't know because i wasn't able to watch <laughs> I, okay. yeah i i am a wuss i i i kind of i was whimpering into into the palms of my hands at that point and uh i, I remember turning to andy and say did she like die or something and andy's staring at the screen with her jaw <laughs> open going uh-huh and I'm like, okay, thank you for telling me. And yeah, I. So apparently she was beheaded. Noted. I, I, I will. I will remember that. <laughs> yes. Well, this was very explicitly like looking at the community afterward. This was kind of a huge thing because it was. It just reached over and went chomp, and you see. Uh, uh, I I think there are some people trying to uh, decide yes or no on that point uh i i didn't think it was hidden in any particular way it was not you know explicitly graphically it was done in silhouette and kind of cast off shots but uh but still the the implication is there so when when there's fighting scenes going on with in the witch confrontations are you actually like looking away and just listening to the the dialogue during those it depend depended on the scene um I do remember watching the the most disturbing thing that I was able to to wrangle was when give me a second I wrote her name down Siaka 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 yeah when Siaka lost her noodle and just started stabbing the heck out of that thing. I, I actually jotted down here. I'm very glad that that's censored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- episode seven. I'm really glad that's censored and really is in all caps. <laughs> so before we get too, before we get too far in, I want to go ahead. I also want to ask a question to both Bama and Brandon about 
how did you feel about mommy when you met her up to the point that she makes her grand exit from the series in episode three because there's basically two schools of thought here one school of thought is that mommy was very cool very confident but may have possibly overstepped a little bit but didn't really you know have it coming to her then there's the other hand who's team homura who believes that homura was totally in the right and that she tried to warn mommy and that mommy basically had what was coming to her so i'm curious to know how did you feel about mommy did she come across as too arrogant or too confident uh or was she just the right amount to make you you know uh react to her passing uh let's go ahead let's start with bama well the fifth line of notes i wrote down says i really don't trust pigtails <laughs> I didn't even know her name and I didn't trust her. I I really didn't. And it's funny because after she died, I actually got a better I I I had a better view of her after that. But I really thought she was 100% in cahoots with Cuba. <laughs> at the when i first met her i was like who is this chick and why is she all yes yes you should trust the creepy thing that tells you it'll grant you greatest <laughs> desire and i'm going for her yeah I, I very much agree i i think i kind of distrusted just about everything at once like homura showed up i was just like there's some weirdness going on about like who we're supposed to trust and who we're not supposed to trust. And I was a little bit distrusting of mommy, even though like her, her mannerisms seemed very genuine. Like the way she was acted seemed like it was supposed to be genuine, but maybe too much. So, um, but like by the, by the end of the third episode, I think, I, I, to me, it felt pretty clear that it was the idea that she was overconfident or anything like that. I think she was too desperate. You know what I mean? Like, she was so desperate to have other people around to believe that what she was doing was good. Like, I think that's why she was so attached to Hubei was like, oh, why are, you, why are you doing this? Like, I need to believe that this is meaningful because otherwise, what am I doing? Um, and so, like, yeah, I, I think that I think that like she probably would have been all right handling that witch by herself without the conversation that preceded it. But I think when she is in that state and she's thinking and she's desperate and she wants to impress, she wants to be this role model that, that uh, Madoka like sees in her, she's trying to live up to an expectation. And it's like, I don't know, playing games, right? Like sometimes I get in my own head over but no, I've, I've totally got this. I'm going to wreck it and make it look good. And <laughs> you mess up, right? Like, okay, I'm trying to live to an expectation. And then you don't because you're trying to. When normally by yourself, you'd be fine. And I, I get the impression that that's kind of what mommy was, what mommy felt prey to. You're playing a rhythm game and you've got your combo Perfect. past 500. Absolutely. But knowing that you're about to perfect it means that... Uh... And somebody walks in the room and you're just, that's it. 
right? Like, you know you have this. It's the simple three steps and you're done. And somebody walks in and that's it, right? And I, I think that's what happens to Mommy is, like, she's just in her own head. Like, at that point, she's been compromised in a way that she wasn't before these people showed up in her world. So, all right. So, moving along, uh, we're getting towards the middle of the series. This is where I think the series started to really take shape. This is where Sayaka becomes a magical girl to save uh, Kiyosuke from his illness or injury, whichever it is, I'm not sure. Um, and there, Madoka is dealing with the death of Mommy, and she's trying to cope with that while still getting pressure from all sides. Uh, CT, you had something you wanted to say? Yeah, before we move on, because as you mentioned in the beginning, you've been wanting to talk about this as well, and we're putting certain questions, of course, towards uh, Brandon and, and Bama, but it it feels like that's something you also wanted to comment on uh, regarding your impression of uh, of Mommy, not just asking the question, but, uh, but what, how... How does the process of her character up to this part uh, uh, fall, you know, in in your direction and even uh, your wife's direction? Because as I remember, the both of you had a a mommy thing going on. Oh yes, we <laughs> had very strong opinions about this that were polar opposites. <laughs> Uh, this was an ongoing debate in our house for years and years and years. Um, basically, the way that I saw Mommy when I first watched this series, and again, I'm reiterating that I watched this series weekly when it first aired, so I was getting this piecemeal bit by bit. Uh, but my first impression of Mommy was that she was the super cool senpai. She was confident. She was awesome. I loved having her in the series. I thought that she was going to be sticking around for a good while, and she was going to be the one to fend off Homura. Uh, and then when episode three hit and I watched it, I had a similar reaction to what Andy did, and my jaw was on the floor. Uh, Brandon, do you want to interject? Oh, I just I just wanted to say, like, again, I think it's, um, maybe maybe it's because I watched Shonen, right? Is like that senpai role, like you feel confident that that's cemented, right? This guide who is going to lead the main character to growing their power rather than just realizing their potential. Right, that that that's going to be a major part of the arc is that kind of growth, and yeah, I mean it does kind of throw that out the window, right? It's like this is what you think it's going to be. <laughs> no, it's not. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so I mean, my opinion of mommy was immensely positive off the bat. I thought that she was, like I said, very cool, very confident. I like those types of characteristics and character so i was very positive on her my she wife was stylish on the other hand, she gave people cake what's not to like exactly 
But my wife, on the other hand, was 100% team Homura. She very much hated Mommy with a passion. She thought that any praise or attention that she got was not deserved. She thought that Homura gave her ample warning of what was about to happen and that Mommy's death was entirely on her. Uh, so yeah, so we had some very polar opposite opinions uh, it, on this. It it's interesting. My my opinion of mommy generally is positive. Uh, obviously, at the time, if you don't like Cube, you're, you're that's going to form how you attach to uh, Homura versus uh, mommy in the beginning. Um, I think. I think, of course, it's a weird way to say it. She obviously serves her purpose because, like, her character lens is is how we get to understand what this show is actually about. Uh, and I think it it works very well in the in the end, as Brandon was talking about, uh, where we see more vulnerability. We see that mommy isn't as confident as she would like us. Uh, or like Madoka and Saiga to believe that she's been lonely in this. We see a bit of what would be, you know, conventional magical girl darkness uh, in here. And we think, right, it's going to be fine. Madoka will will join her at some point. We'll, we'll get more going on. When you mention that Homura gave her ample warning, interestingly, and obviously this wouldn't be for for Bam and Brandon. You you can't have this particular perspective until you've watched the whole show. But for me, I kind of think that Homura has been through so many permutations of this at that point that it kind of doesn't matter. She gave up on trying to convince the uh, the others about Kubei, uh probably. Mommy and Sayaka have uh, both uh, bitten it in a variety of ways or lasted to Wolfpergus Knock yeah. uh, in other uh, ways to to get through. So I, th I think she just doesn't have a whole lot of capacity to deal with how these characters might react this time because she's been focused on uh, obviously getting a uh, uh, what is it? Just making sure that Madoka does not make the contract, and everyone else is secondary. Yeah. So we, we don't get a we we don't get a full like example of how many times. So I think that'll be when we get to that point. That'll be one of the things to ask in around is how many times do we think this has gone on? Yeah, I think that it's kind of interesting that like. I agree that she's probably not prepared to um, really talk about it in a way that makes sense, um, that she can convey to them. She's kind of, I don't know, empty inside. And I think like that's, that's a major plot point that, again, later on is very important. Right. Sorry, I got in your way. Go ahead, Pamela. Yeah. No, oh, no, it, no, it's fine. Oh, yeah. I, I just wanted to say that from the minute I saw Hamura, I, I felt like she knew more than she was letting on. And I also felt like Mommy knew more than she was letting on, but 
Hamura always struck me as more knowledgeable. And, uh, you know, that I was very, very proud of myself in the end when that was, when that turned out to be accurate. <laughs> Just how accurate that turned out to be in, in a roundabout fashion. So uh, did anybody else have any other questions, comments before we kind of dive into the next part of the series? Uh, I was watching the dub and Kyube is actually the same voice actor as Morgana from Persona 5. <laughs> I, I literally heard the voice and I was like, oh man, <laughs> it's kind of the same voice. You know, it's a trope. I'm sure that they go for the same kinds of voices for these kinds of characters. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh no, actually it's the same, same exact person. <laughs> Yeah, that would be uh, Cassandra Lee Morris. I've interviewed her a couple of times. She's really talented and really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed another note I made here. It said, I'm so used to being creeped out that I'm distrustful of everything. And I wrote that about the yeah. rooftop concert. <laughs> He's playing violin on the roof, but I'm like, what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> So, alright, let's go ahead, let's jump into uh, the next part of the series. By the way, if anybody picks up the sound of my cat meowing in the background, please don't worry, she's fine, she's just annoyed. Uh, but, anyways, uh, so... The next part of the series, like I was mentioning earlier, it's the part where the series, after the tonal shift starts to take shape it starts with sayaka you know signing her contract it's has madoka mourning over mommy while still getting pressure from all sides to sign the contract with kubei uh and then we also get our next new character who is kyoko uh oh where to even begin with this part uh this part like i said i think really starts setting up the meat of the series and starts and starts getting the audience ready for what we're gonna be seeing next uh because with kyoko we start getting into the turf wars which i thought was a really interesting concept to introduce into a magical girl series you don't think about you know there being multiple magical girls representing different areas uh and having their own turf that they're very protective about uh i'm curious did anybody else have any strong like impressions of Kyoko when she first appeared and her claim of wanting to claim the new territory now that mommy had been killed and news of that was starting to spread around at the risk of sounding very very stereotypical I'm a woman who struggles with weight and you cannot convince me that Kyoko's wish <laughs> was anything other than to eat whatever she wanted and not get fat I will die on this hill a thousand percent. I could not believe. I was when she said what her vo her thing was. I was like, really? Like she's constantly eating. How? She she just doesn't mention the comma after it. My wish has to be this comma. Also, I want right. to eat a lot of stuff and not. Yeah, it's oh, just not plot important. All the food. I I I, I get hungry just watching her. 
now, 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 to be fair, that <laughs> you you always get these, uh, you know, these character mannerisms and stuff, uh, and this feels like a very shoujo sort of thing. I mean, how many times did you have uh, Usagi from Sailor Moon getting into, uh, uh, you know, going to a place and just gorging on bowls of ramen after each other, or uh, lots of other show shoujo the shoujo heroine for no apparent reason uh can just down uh, uh win any hot dog eating contest uh that that ever <laughs> was because it's an anime thing and specifically a shoujo heroine thing so uh maybe it, it's maybe it's a memification of it in retrospect but like wasn't that basically brock and pokemon like dude was always eating jelly donuts <laughs> Right. I'm nodding. I promise, y'all can't see it, but I'm nodding. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. the, the, uh, any number of characters will have sure. their thing. This one is always, you know, munching on pocky for no apparent reason. This one is uh, is just uh, uh, doing whatever. So, mm-hmm. at least she occasionally had a bunch of apples rather than uh, just scarfing taiyaki all day or or some yeah. other junk food. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I had a strong opinion of her. I did not like her. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just she she came out of. I, so I think it's interesting that like I don't think that these concepts are necessarily alien, right? Like again, shonen, right? You, you see guys eating all the time. You never think about like their fitness or whatever. So like in a way, it almost feels like a commentary in that. She's just eating food all the time. Do they need to explain why she's like still in shape? No, she's fighting all the time or something, right? Um, same thing with like the turf war thing. Like we always view it from somebody who's already invested in that position, right? Like when it's Sailor Moon, who's this new sailor? Where did they come from? What's their deal, right? But then they get like absorbed into that main group that you're already rooting for. Whereas like in this particular instance, the main character doesn't really have a huge vested interest in this. So like it feels so much more confrontational because you don't know which direction it's going, like who this person is, what their deal is, that they're going to like get along eventually in the end. They might just be an antagonist the entire time, which is something I don't think you really see in other things. You know, it's just like a foregone conclusion that this these people will be part of the group eventually. I agree with that. I, I remember wondering the same if they were going to wind up as friends. And I was really hoping that they would wind up as friends because I wanted to like her. She seemed very yeah. honest somehow. There was she's she's gonna kick your ass and try to kill you, but the reason for it is because she doesn't like you and you have what she wants. And she's gonna let you know that. And, and in a series where so many characters are hiding so much, that was kind of refreshing. I was, I was pretty much here for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thousand percent. Uh, CT, how about you? When you were watching this, uh, did you watch this in blocks, or did you the first time you watched this? Did you marathon it? I didn't marathon it the whole way through. I 
don't recall i probably watched it fairly speedily mostly because there wasn't a whole lot of stuff so uh i didn't do it all in one session but there's a decent chance that i did them all you know multiple episodes at the at a time in less than a week so probably i was probably i was sprinting through it a bit i definitely did not stop with episode three because obviously my interest just got you know spiked in the side of the head i'm like well what the hell is going on then uh I I tell people to of course commit to watching at least three, and that the show is is I think really well watched in three episode arcs. If uh, if you're not used to marathoning it, but uh, so when I went forward, of course now you know I'm I'm busy trying to figure out what everything is going on. There's obviously like. Kube is the weird arbiter of this magical girlness that we already had suspicions about, but now it looks kind of like it's turning into a battle royale. Uh, <laughs> you and you seem to be uh, assuming that uh, uh, Homura is trying to take down the system, and Kyoko is just trying to use it to her advantage. The fact that they go at it so. Uh, desperately, and at the time, I'm, you know, very much rooting for for Sayaka because you understand the, the nature of her wish and the selflessness of it, the fact that she saves Madoka and Hitomi's lives earlier in the episode. You know, she's doing good things, and then it's ending by basically saying, oh, and while you're a newbie here... <laughs> this much more powerful magical girl is going to try to basically kill you and, and take things over. I'm like, what the hell is going on now? So, uh, four seemed to spin a lot of things uh, around. And I, I definitely, I liked Kyoko by way of attitude and style and, you know, general power and uh, attack ways. No, no offense to Sayaka, but you know she's got the most boring of the uh, of the magical girlness. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of like in a bard outfit, and uh, I got a sword. <laughs> Yoko definitely you're, you're not, has the best. best you're not weapon. a no items final destination Marth only. <laughs> no, not not as. Uh, but uh, so this this next whole arc was interesting because you got introduced to something i thought the show was going to spin in a different direction and it doesn't but it's it's obviously keeping up and doubling down on kind of the psychological pressure of it all and uh uh uh, we we get to of course start seeing things We're, we're not seeing sayaka's complete collapse at this point but we're seeing the full uh, uh, you know, the the stoking of, of what's going on. There's obviously more violence behind the system. We're wondering, well, are we going to have more characters come in? We, we now have seen the five who are, you know, showing up in the imagery. So it feels like these are the only ones. But if we have magical girls who are just going to invade a city because they want to uh, 
they want the the grief seeds from it, then who knows what can uh, what can go on. And it uh, it eventually turns out. I like the end of six as another day. We're we're starting to re-see the the stakes call uh, because uh, well, Pergusnacht gets brought up again. So we have kind of this two this two more week deadline of events coming to a head and uh then we we start to find out what you know the the end of episode six i find is you know the same kind of shockingness level uh equivalent of episode three where the nature of the contract is now being a you know brought to the fore and basically it, it messes everyone up at that point other than humor <laughs> for yeah, some that was that was going to be the next point that i brought up is that while episodes four and five are basically you know introducing kyoko and introducing her attitude and her personality and the conflict that happens almost instantly between her and sayaka episode six is the next part where the hammer drops again on the audience when we learn the, about the soul gems and we learn about what Kyube actually does to the magical girls when their contract is signed which totally screws up their mind uh bama let's go ahead and let's start with you on uh, that moment when sayaka is on the bridge and madoka throws her soul gem away and she just passes out did you what was your impression at that point did you have any guesses on what was happening i did not i assumed just like um madoka that she was just trying to prevent her friend from transforming and then when she passes out i was i was very confused and then hamana comes up and, and is gonna save the day here hamana style and i was i i wasn't as huge a fan of hamana as your wife apparently but i i did like hamana <laughs> a lot, and i trusted hamana so i was like okay she knows what's going on and she's gonna fix this and like i said i'm a huge fairy fanatic and I'd been associating Kyubei with, with the Fae and, and the concept of, of subverting wishes since episode one. So I was a little less surprised to see all this. But at that point, I had stopped assuming that uh, Madoka was going to become a magical girl. And I had, I had started wondering is she is she or isn't she and at that point i started thinking oh my gosh she is going to and it's going to be re there's something that's going to happen that is really 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 awful that's going to make her do this and i was kind of morbidly curious to know where this was going and that that's about where i was in the series thought wise as to what was going on yeah, and I think it's kind of interesting, right? Because it's like, I mean, we'll get to to the specifics of, of her actual contract later. But again, it's like, yeah, I think this is kind of the area where I was kind of in the same boat when it was like, oh, she's going to do it 
to save Sayaka, like when she was fighting with Kyoko. Um, and I don't think that like, it didn't quite. That's the point where I was like, oh, this is what the show is about. It's not about all of this other stuff. It's not the fighting or any of that business. What What is this girl's decision going to be in the end? Yes. Um, I Yes. I was thinking the exact same thing at about the exact same point in the series, I think, was, okay, this is about this one very large decision slash sacrifice and the um, surrounding elements of that. Yeah. Um, I... As, as to the bridge, I totally thought for a second that, like, she had killed Sayaka. Like, I thought she threw it down and it, the gem, like, shattered or it got run over. And that's why the body collapsed. You know, it took me a few seconds before, I, you know, uh, Hamura, like, jumped off the bridge and freaking took off. Um, and I think it's, like, the first step to really trusting Hamura, right? Like, you want to think that she's doing good stuff like she seems to be logical she seems to have good reason she's not really relating well but she has good intentions and i feel like that's like really the first time where she just she actually panics she's like oh crap and just acts rather than like trying to come up with an excuse for why this is beneficial and whatever else um and i, I think it kind of it's the first step to seeing her uh true intentions right that she cares about these people she hasn't that's the first time she shows some emotion she's been very emotionless the entire time and then all of a sudden you're absolutely right there's a panic in her eyes and then she goes and you're like okay there is something going on here this is very serious i think she has a bit of that uh in episode three when mommy ties her up and she she starts to panic a bit there saying you're making a mistake yeah because she now sees oh uh oh like if i can act freely i can help but she's done something that i can't undo in here right now so this this may end worse than uh than it has before but right here it it certainly seems like an action that didn't happen previously so now she's like oh my god (laughs) well yeah to an extent it's the first time she was like truly caught off guard where it was like and and i think it kind of was the first maybe the first time that i really started to think of her as a time traveler like that not necessarily that it was intentional but like that she has seen this happen before all of this stuff right because she knows the answers to all of this stuff maybe she just happens to know maybe she's reading minds but like at this point she could have read um monica's mind and understood that this is what she was going to do but she that clearly didn't occur to her as something that could happen so this isn't based on her reading minds or just omnisciently knowing things this is something that she has learned by seeing it before in some fashion Right, she she knows the truth about the gems and is the only one to do so and knows the implication, but she's never had to react to that situation before. Right. I remember thinking that <clears throat> since she and Kube were the only two that knew about the gems, I was wondering if she was part of Kube's species and maybe if that was what was going on. So I was... Interesting. 
bit of a bit of a mystery there. I was like, okay, so is she also a fae? And and if so, what's her relationships? I was off, of course, but you know, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> a good reason. Hey, yeah, I mean, at least you had a theory going. So yeah. She she certainly comes across as rebelling magical girl, and since of course in the end here we're finding out that Cube turns everyone into these soul gems, and they no longer have a corporeal body or a uh, a human identity at anymore. For for me, I think that cemented that you know, however Homura knows about it because she knows about it she's that's why she's trying to stop madoka specifically but to to stop magical girling in general and uh and stop uh Cube's particulars uh specifically is is the uh the scene on the the bench with Cube is that in this set of episodes too uh which which one Sorry, the the one where Homura oh, just not... blows the crap out. No, of that, that's later right. on. Okay, ne- next arc. Yeah. <laughs> so, on the on the topic of Cube, like yes, I think um, in episode five when um, Kyoko and uh, Sayaka are fighting, the matter of fact way that Cube is talking about, like, well, obviously they'd fight, right? That's probably the first time where, like, I didn't trust Cube. But that was the first time where I had something I could put my finger on and say, there's something wrong here, right? Because ostensibly, the entire point of the Magical Girls is to stop witches, right? right? But now these two people are fighting when you're talking about taking a, a relatively powerful asset off the board because these two people are fighting and Kyube does nothing about it, you know? And it's right, like, Kyube was... becomes insidious rather than just right. n- uh, not understandable and uh, mysterious. This, this is a thing that is expected to happen, but it is not a problem. You know what I mean? And so why isn't it a problem? What is going on here that this fighting fits the plan? You know? Right. Yep. I, I remember being surprised that he was so accepting. I was expecting the yeah. very low-key eye roll no stop don't right you know very very weakly protest so you can say you protest protested later and didn't even get that cubase just like yeah they're gonna try to <laughs> this, is how, this is how we roll on the east side i i, I got nothing mm-hmm. so i'm curious about everyone reaction to Sayaka once she learns the truth and her mental state just rapidly deteriorates. Um, It just rapidly goes downhill. She is upset about what's happened to her. She's upset because she's lost uh, the boy that she likes to Hitomi. Uh, she is just spiraling downward, blaming Madoka for what's happened. Uh, how did that? How did that hit everyone? I'm curious to know. You know, was Sayaka more sympathetic? Was she less sympathetic because she was the one who signed the contract without knowing the details? 
to be brutally honest with y'all, I, uh, I watched those two episodes after a very bad day at work where I wouldn't have been in a much <laughs> better headspace than Sayaka herself. And uh, before I, uh, about 30 minutes before I watched them, I had some uh, what Andy calls magic and, and what is basically legal. Uh, it's legal in our state, so I, I was <laughs> not illegally taking marijuana, but I, I totally had an edible and uh my response to, <laughs> to this was going to be colored by that um the only note i wrote was sayaka got goth <laughs> <laughs> and then i scratched yeah. it out and wrote yeah. no emo and and i and i remember at that point i had to quit writing notes because i was so fascinated with the pencil leaving marks on paper um <laughs> sorry about that how, how do labyrinths fine. come across when you're stoned? Oh my gosh. <laughs> if it is legal in your state, get stoned and watch this episode. The labyrinths just pop. It's amazing. If it's not legal, then fear not. Watching the labyrinths, take the way the labyrinths work and apply it to just about everything. And that's how you see things when you're stoned. I'm pretty sure the animators were on some uh, some leafy greens when they were when they were creating this. That's interestingly, my wife feels the same way about the <laughs> labyrinth scenes. But yeah, yeah, but anyways, go on. Yeah, it was so. Um, that that bit was gonna color my uh, memory of of all this. I do remember feeling that she at very least had her priorities in the right order. She was a little upset about the about the guy and her friend that has a, a crush, but she seemed to be more aware that she's in middle school and her soul is now separated from her body. And I was kind of proud of her that she noticed that this was the bigger problem. <laughs> that's that's going to be a, a, a more... That's something to get upset over more so than the guy I like doesn't like me. Yeah, I, I got the impression that this guy didn't represent represent this guy. She was thinking of the entire rest of her life. However long she might be alive, she considered herself a monster. And the, like, how can I expect him to kiss me thing was like, She's not talking about him. How could she ever expect to be loved by somebody? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, that was a stand-in for being loved at all. Um, and, I, like, I at first I was like, I feel like this is kind of going off the real, rails really fast. And then I got, she gets to that point. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Now I really understand why you feel, like, totally ripped apart by that, you know? Because it, it is. It's when it's hard to blame her for not knowing what was in the contract, right? Like they don't like we have a concept of what the Fae are, right? But at 13, like how many kids are really going to understand what that means? Oh yeah. You know, there's, you know, the, the monkey paw wish or whatever. Like, yeah, we understand that there can be like tricks in these, but that's not like a little trick. This is not some, well, this wish comes with 
some kind of catch. It's a very specific catch. This is a line in the contract somewhere, and you're never shown what's in the contract. All of that stuff is intentionally obscured, so it's hard to blame her for feeling like basically she was like, oh, yeah, I, I will happily donate my kidney to save, you know, this one person's life. And she wakes up and she's out, you know, a kidney, a lung and half of her liver. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. I think, I think that's pretty fair to be like, what the hell? Yeah. To feel violated. You know? She very much expected to put her life on the line. And I, I think she figured that she was risking her safety on a fairly regular basis for the rest of her life in order to save her friend. And she was okay with that. But this, yeah. but now she's blindsided. Now her soul is literally detached, and she was very that I, really did strike me as what she was the angriest about. And I was like, you know, good for you, kid. I don't think I would have been that smart when I was your age. <laughs> yeah. And she's she's so it, it's never mentioned, but or at least I don't think it is. But like in the context of the durability of her body, they're talking about how she doesn't have to feel the pain, right? And in a way that is setting up her feelings about being held and like all of that physical intimacy and how it's not real to her anymore because she can detach from it. You know, like it, that, I don't think that part is really ever mentioned, but like, that's what they're setting up with the, I don't have to feel pain anymore he's right i i don't have to feel the pain i don't feel it you know right i mean the in in the terms of specifically pain it can translate to other sensations but uh obviously that it's dulling the the negative extremes because none of them feel different Right. when they've transformed so it's not like normal human touch and other stuff are affected but yeah you get you get the poss possibility of her willingly being able to turn everything else off at that point right it feels kind of arbitrary because it's not necessary whereas before it was fundamental it was kind of intrinsic to being human is that you feel things you know right I think it's, uh, we've mentioned the Fae a lot, of course, but somehow Faust hasn't been mentioned uh, <laughs> here, because Faustian bargains are, of course, the other thing that uh, get mentioned. Uh, so I, I like how if you know German and uh, things, there's actual German passages from Faust in episode two when they're hunting with, uh, with Mommy to, uh, to save that woman who's about to jump off the building. So uh, definitely, if you knew anything about it going in, that would have uh, uh, keyed someone uh, from that, you know, particular point. Uh, that did make sense. I picked up on Mommy's German coding. Her, her right. magical girl <laughs> and everything. Yeah, that's like, oh, that you mention it, yeah. She's kind of Deutsch she was, there. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh certainly you know you get invested this is where the psychological darkness of course takes the largest turn uh i do tend to lose a bit of empathy with sayaka i can understand it but 
in the end, she's still vainly striving against anyone trying to help her from any perspective. She she can't get anything from Madoka, but Kyoko up, opens up to her, and they've been trying to kill each other before now. And, uh, you know, she's she's introducing you know one thing to her and they're they're not trying to kill each other and Sayaka's takes from it okay the only thing i can strive to do is uh be be pure i will not harm anyone at this point she the the places that her mind goes at this point is is definitely very self-defeating so i gain a bit more empathy for kyoko and i lose a bit of empathy for uh, for Sayaka during this. Uh, I had forgotten that she doesn't... You know, I've, I thought that the end of Nine was the, the other realization that, well, the end of a magical girl is becoming a witch, because that's how, of course, Sayaka goes out. And uh, that wasn't the case. That reveal was at the end of episode eight. But nines is pretty momentous anyway all all things considered so uh i was i was busy trying to i was busy thinking all of the big reveals were at the uh three episode mark but uh so how 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 does the uh you know the the witch cycle land itself <laughs> To you guys in general, as, as far as a, uh, you know, I, I find all of the uh, conversations from Cube explaining it pretty interesting, all told. But uh, does it does it feel like it makes sense in a way, or does it just feel like it it makes show sense because that's what they're saying? I'm. Uh, if all if all magical girls become witches in the end, how do you where where did witches come from to begin with, and how would you possibly defeat them? Shouldn't there be just a million witches? Yeah, I, I was a little bit so I started to suspect it like fairly early on when it was like drawing that sort of curse out of the soul gem, um, but the one thing I couldn't really reconcile was like where do familiars come from, right? Because it doesn't make sense that, like, they get corrupted and then become familiars, I guess, right? Like, that didn't seem appropriately momentous. For It almost seemed like a step back from the power that you'd have as a magical girl. Um, so, I mean, I kind of felt it coming, and it. I think they suggested later, too, is like, eh, kind of arbitrary honestly and doesn't make sense and that's kind of the point um so it's kind of just like a suspension of disbelief thing i think where you're just gonna be like well i'm watching a thing about magic the reason is magic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you raise a compelling point <laughs> i managed to figure it out baked to the gills about 10 minutes before right. Kube dropped the bomb on us and I was extremely <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> but I had, I had started to suspect it when um, Sayaka was so obviously becoming corrupted. And I'm not even talking about her soul gem. I'm talking about how she was acting and how she was feeling and, and the darkness that was just completely consuming her. And, I, and 
I, I, I looked at that and said, yeah, that, that, that seems like that would be probably fairly normal. And ooh, I bet I know what's coming. <laughs> yeah. Now, now eight, we do have the bench scene that you mentioned before, where uh, Madoka and, and Kube are chatting, and Madoka is busy. You know, the the focus around what is Madoka going to wish for still comes up uh and then uh Kyubei sucks a shotgun blast uh, <laughs> and you think homura is going to be normal homura but effectively this is where you know she breaks down and you get to see finally something that's that's much more raw from her perspective uh so not only are we we getting the finality of uh, you know what happens to magical girls, but we're we're seeing more, you know, from Homura at this point. Did did that? Uh, what what were you thinking about about her and about the uh, the the plotting at at that point? The the overall situation between all of the magical girls, Kubei, and uh, Homura. And I guess we'll start with Bama. Well, this is about where I was starting to realize that Hamana was not one of the Cubay-related uh, uh, creatures, but, but clearly was something else, but I couldn't figure out what. Um, and when he said, until, wait a minute, was, this is when he started talking about the time travel, and he said, you aren't even from this timeline, are you? And... I, I, I was trying very hard to, fit, to to get it all pieced together, and it wasn't until the next episode when Hamura shows up in braids, Andy had to gently yeah. tell me that, no, this is a different timeline. I was like, oh, I would have figured that out in 10 seconds. <laughs> I would not have figured that out in 10 seconds. That was not true. <laughs> that, that one is 10. We haven't finished the, the Sayaka arc. Because that's I know. finishing Kyoko, but but uh, yeah, that's the, yeah. I'm just letting y'all know how lost I was. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Well, you were still baking a little bit. Um, yeah, I think I was actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was the time we only watched two episodes because I, I she said Do you want to watch a third, and I said nah, I don't think I remember a third one. I went to bed shortly after that, and I remember dreaming hmm. only I was awake, and it was it was it was embarrassing. I'm not going to talk more about that if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, how about you, Brandon? What were you thinking with the plotting at this point? Uh, I, I mean, I think it was again kind of felt a little bit arbitrary, right? Like at this point, I, I think with any time travel plot like and and this is the part that's where it's really becoming evident i think that there's some kind of weird time manipulation going on and how much who knows um but like she's homura has been sort of teleporting around basically um she just like is suddenly in one spot and then suddenly not in another um and so the talk about you know you're different and then her blasting Kube and afterwards Kube being like, you know, I have others, right? And she's like, yeah, I know where it's becoming apparent that it's about time. Like this is 
the important point. At this point, she's killing Hubei because she's trying to delay things. She's not trying to stop this thing. She's just trying to buy time. Um, and I think with anything that's about time, like there is a certain level of arbitrariness. And I think at this point, it kind of starts to feel arbitrary. It feels trying to to it felt a little bit long in the tooth i think you know like Mm -hmm. trying to okay this where this entire series is going to be like episode 12 is going to be about whatever her wishes you know so we're kind of i felt kind of like we were going through the motions at this particular point which really is only like an episode maybe right on so all right uh wrapping up this section the big thing with episode nine is the death of both Ma- not mommy i'm sorry both kyoko and sayaka who end up dying in a fight with each other sayaka you know goes full nuclear and melts down into a into a powerful witch kyoko sacrifices herself to save madoka uh from you know what happens and seeing what happens did either did any of you i'm fielding this to all of you did i any of you expect that we were gonna see even more magical girl death in this series or did you think that mommy was gonna be it uh let's go ahead let's actually start with ct this time uh at this point uh did you expect for there to be more death uh it seemed it seemed like uh the Ur butcher was training me well enough because while the, <laughs> while the focus of nine is they're describing what's going on but we've gotten to know Kyoko and that there is kind of a uh you know a, a nice meet together with with Kyoko and Madoka they're coming to terms they're doing the thing which you normally expect has an effect the whole okay oh my god she's been corrupted taken over it's mirror mirror sayaka it's something else but you know we we're friends uh i love my friend the pure of heart we can bring her back so the point is if she became a thing and and even in part of this cube doesn't you know say anything different in this case cube is like well i i don't know but it's possible i guess i, I forget the exact quote but uh later on uh Cube <laughs> is like whatever. <laughs> this the Cube is even more uh, uh, crazy here. Just taking uh, taking Kyoko out was tactical to uh, making sure Madoka will uh, transform, which is pretty damn cruel, all things considered. But uh, I didn't really expect. Kyoko to have to be taken out, I rather expected they would have to finish Sayaka off, rather than the sack play uh, in this case. So I wasn't expecting that in particular. I figured they would just have to go through with with finishing Sayaka off in the end, uh, and go forward from there. But but obviously the uh, the and then there were two ending of this episode is is pretty. Uh, Pretty baller. Mm. 
Uh, Bama, how about you? Did you expect to see more characters bite it, or were you surprised by this? I absolutely expected to see more characters bite it. I figured that part of the reason that Mommy was killed off so early was to let us know that this is going to be a show where we are exploring the idea of magical girls dying especially considering that her death wasn't shoved under the rug. I mean, she is actively mourned and even though there isn't uh there is uh, there's some mention of a police investigation and some mention of her being absent from school. I was really expecting a funeral and I was surprised when I didn't get one. Um well, they did, yeah, I, mommy I said, at okay. least didn't have Sorry, it's just uh, mommy at least didn't have a body to be found, so it was just missing. True enough, but then did uh, Sayaka? Well, I guess she kind of did. Yes, yeah, she. Yeah, they, they they grabbed she... the body back. So, but yeah, I was expect like a missing persons investigation or something, and and like I said, that was touched on, and I said, okay, so we're so this is going to be a series where death is a very real thing. And I was not at all surprised to see that Sayaka died. I wasn't expecting... What, what What's the other girl's name? Kyoko. Kyoko, yeah. I wasn't expecting Kyoko to bite it. But Sayaka, I, I could tell pretty quickly. Like I said, she was just... Darkness was taking over, and I, I did not expect for her to be saved. I feel like at this point the show is starting to be like very honest um like i wouldn't i was not surprised that more people died i i think i was like okay i see that there is a possibility of something other than death happening here but i think what i expected was again like sayaka at least to die that they try to help her they try to find a way they don't and she dies um i bought uh kyoko like just being like well okay i guess this is how we go out you know like and, and to an extent it, it mirrors how they first met right um they were fighting over turf and potentially killing one or the other and so they ended up both dying um, maybe even to an extent as a direct result of that first conflict right that maybe not necessarily for the same reasons, but that was kind of the domino effect of like, well, this is all just kind of messed up anyways, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it, I was not surprised that more death was coming. Um, so to, to play off uh, one of the things that you've brought up a, a number of times before, because it, it seemed like, okay, well, uh, Madoka's wish would be to bring mommy back or to stop, uh, you know, to prevent Saika from being killed. Or at this point, there are two more. So, uh, was... what was yeah. that? Is that turning now into what you expected? It's like, okay, yeah. she just has to undo all of this. Right. It, it Originally, after mommy dies, the, the initial thought is like, okay, she's going to try and like find a way to wish mommy back to life uh and then 
as it becomes apparent that Sayaka may very well die and nearly does, you know, when they throw the soul gem off, when she throws the soul gem <laughs> off the bridge, it's like, okay, so if the idea of wishing mommy back makes sense, then it would not be strange for these people to die and for her wish to be to bring these people back to life by some means, whether it's directly wishing for these particular people or if it's like something about magical girls. The the show is, I think, very aware of what it wants the audience to think the wish is going to be. Like it's kind of walking you through the idea of, of the process she's going through, what she's thinking makes sense at the time. And, uh, before we get to the next episode, because the next episode, of course, has a lot of the answers. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna mention something we'll probably talk about again later, but I, I'm curious. The opening, you know, the song Connect by Clarice, the OP of the show, of course, shows Madoka in her magical girl form doing stuff and it's basically a whole lot of kind of light-hearted goofing around mommy and sayaka mm -hmm. are there uh and of course now we've gotten you know three quarters of the way through the show <laughs> both, right. both of them are gone but Oka has not transformed what was there anything that you know was building from that or that you were considering over time because you keep starting every episode with the same op that's basically showing things that are impossible right yeah i i, I think oh go ahead yeah I've, I've been talking a lot <laughs> <laughs> i remembered a meme i saw you know during my 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 dry anime phase when i wasn't really doing a lot of watching that said the more cheerful the opening credits, the yeah. darker the show. And I was like, I think I figured out what they're talking about right here. <laughs> um, and yeah, I really was thinking, I, I, I considered the opening credits a lot. And I was wondering if this was going to be a case of her bringing them back. And I, I considered that several times and finally pretty much decided even before it was obvious that this was just it was just you know being a light-hearted silly stuff i mean it, it, we never do see the three of them together on the top of that little tower but then we never see her with a giant afro singing karaoke either so you know <laughs> this may just be a wash <laughs> yeah that, that's a basically it yeah i mean i didn't i only watched uh, the opening once but I, it did occur to me i was like man they keep showing her in this costume and, and to an extent i was like is this kind of how she sees herself is this like supposed to show what she wants to be or her aspiration because the show is really centering this every single episode but you know, by probably episode eight, I was pretty certain that it was not going to happen until maybe the very end of the last episode. It wasn't even just going to be like, you know, the, the the last episode opens and she makes her wish, but that like, it may not happen until like the last moments of the very end of the <laughs> show. 
And so like, what the hell is going on here? And why are you doing this? Because everything else has shown a lot of intention, right? Like the subver subversion of whatever, which I don't know is entirely accurate. I think it's very aware of like tropes and things and it's definitely interacting with them. I don't think with the intention of subverting them, except in examples where they really deserve to be subverted. Um, so like there was very clearly an intention. I didn't know what it was, but I knew there was something going on. And I guess let's uh, pass this over to LB since you were the only weekly watcher of all of us. Yeah. Uh, at this point, of course, and, and considering the OP and the scenes there at this point, we've gotten one explicit remark from Kube about uh, Humura not being from this time and we've seen a whole bunch of stuff with characters that, uh, as stated, never, never happened. We're just about to learn the story that, you know, the big story beat and the big twist to it. Uh, do you recall what your expectation was going into episode 10? Going into episode 10, I did not know what to expect. I had gotten the inklings from the foreshadowing that Homura had traveled through time and that she was going to reveal that at some point. I didn't know the extent to what it was going through. I just remember, I want to say, episode I don't think it was episode 10. I believe it was episode 8 or 9 when we first see Homura in her own really retro kind of looking apartment that she has. And she has that conversation with Kyubei. I can't remember exactly what's said during that conversation, but I remember that scene there gave me more inkling than anything else that the... sorry no the... go ahead okay I, I think the first time we see that is uh the the first inkling we get homura and kyoko are discussing volpurgis in episode six and kubei ends the scene because Kube is around, and Kube just ends the scene, not mention any anything uh, that he does explicitly later, but feeding into the uh, what is it? Fe feeding into the uh, uh, mysterious nature of Humara in general. But of yeah. course, the the fact that there's a swinging pendulum, yeah. the the clock uh, uh, symbolism. Uh, is certainly there. Yeah, and that was what gave me my first inkling that something bigger was happening. Uh, but for the life of me, and please keep in mind that this was 10 years ago, I was in my, what, late 20s at the time, so I wasn't quite as smart as I was now. <laughs> Not that that's really saying anything. Uh, but I was not putting it together until we got to episode 10 uh, when everything was laid out finally. Right. And, and I think as well, when I was going in, 
it felt kind of like a you know a the normal time traveler is someone who comes from the future you know used her wish to get sent back to be able to try to stop uh, uh you know we, we started with the big scene of Valpergus Knox, so it felt like okay someone she may have sent herself back to be able to try to stop it but that just means she has future knowledge uh or is a dimension traveler or something doctor who like uh not not quite you know as groundhog day <laughs> as, <laughs> as we get into so i guess let's uh let, let's start on on people's appreciation of episode 10 in, in general before there, we do that no uh bama yeah. you wanted to interject something oh. yes I, I remembered something i had uh thought about a minute ago when you when you were talking about the uh opening credits um it was a it was around this time of watching the show that it hit me very hard that it reminded me of evangelion which was one of the last great episode, great animes I watched before my dry spell. And um, I loved the deconstruction in there, and I saw the deconstruction here. So I said, okay, I wonder if the last two episodes are going to be Ava-level weird. And I was I was braced <laughs> for weird. So when we were going in for well, level... Good. Yeah, when we were braced... For episode 10, I was absolutely braced for the abstract alt reality you know animation interspersed with still photos i was i, I had my popcorn and i was ready to go <laughs> right on that, yeah that's what i was expecting <laughs> so episode 10 episode 10 is when we finally see the backstory of Homura. We finally learn the truth of what she's been going through and what she's been doing to try and stop this event from happening, to try and stop Madoka from becoming a witch. Not a witch, excuse me, a magical girl. Uh, well, one thing that I want to go ahead and mention about this episode, though, is that I was watching this weekly. This episode aired on the day of that major Japanese earthquake that Oops. hit um, 10 years ago. And so please keep in mind that when I watched this episode, I watched it, that happened, and we didn't get to see another new episode for a month and a half. <laughs> so I had, I had a month and a half to be chomping at the bit wanting to know what was going to happen next and i definitely that's one of the that's a level of anticipation that you can't replicate in any other way (laughs) this is this was one of the most intense moments of my anime career was wanting to know what happened next the next time that i felt this wasn't until about two years later when i was watching space brothers and (laughs) that's an entirely different story that i won't get into but the fact that we got this episode we learned all about homura 
and then disaster struck literally and we didn't get another new episode for a month and a half the theories that were being thrown around in that month and a half were mind-boggling <laughs> everyone who was watching this series had a theory and everyone was different about it oh yeah but it was possibly one of I don't want to say it was, you know, a good thing that it happened. Obviously, it wasn't. <laughs> but I want to say that the level of attention that was being put on this series at that time for that month and a half, because we weren't getting the new episode, was amazing. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it since. Do you recall whether or not it you know the with the earthquake it was delayed due to you know just production issues uh or you know general life disruption or very explicitly because in the next two episodes it's effectively a city being destroyed and, no uh, it, i believe matter. it was i believe it was delayed specifically for not production issues but more recovery and a lot of the television time at the time was being devoted to updates and what was going on uh i believe that there i don't believe that there were primary production issues i believe it was more just the television airwaves were dedicated right, to that... getting the latest information out. Gotcha. I, I didn't really mean production because, of course, at that point, everything is in the can. It, but, yeah. But broadcasting disruptions. In this case, I was wondering whether or not it was a subject matter thing for the same reason that, uh, you know, Fire Force was delayed after the uh, arson attack at, at Kyoto Animation and things like that. It was, I think there was something else with Tokyo Magnitude 8 as well, or uh, no, there was a game that was uh, also kind of delayed or there, there seems to be a, a bit of a, uh, you know, subject matter getting too close, wanting distance from real life tragic events to, uh, uh, that that pushed things, and I was curious whether or not that was part of the Madoka delay. No, I don't believe it was. I believe it was just television airwaves being dominated by the latest updates and recovery efforts and everything. Gotcha. So, getting into the actual episode, like I mentioned, this is the episode where basically the shit hits the fan. Uh, and we basically get to know Homura and what she's been going through all this time. Uh, well, let's just go around. Uh, what were your impressions of this episode? Did they meet your what you were thinking it was going to be? Did they surpass? Did they underwhelm? Uh, CT, let's start with you. Mm, okay. I... There's a lot of things that I love about this episode in general. I liked, of course, seeing uh, Homura in the, you know, the nervous, uh, uh, what is it, uh, complete neophyte, embarrassed sort of person. 
Uh, so you get to see a whole other aspect of her personality and get to understand the the transformation that effectively she takes over the course of this episode. And you're trying to think of how long that actually reflects in, in uh, Groundhog Day uh, time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I like that you basically get the complete reversal eventually uh, in that during Lopergus Noct, you know, Homura is the one in the position of, you know, just having witnessed these people because she uh, watched, she accompanied Monica and, and Mommy and the others, uh, 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 what is it, up through all of the events, and then she gets to use, you know, she signs the contract in order to save them. Obviously, it was unclear how it was doing, uh, how she was going to affect it. Uh, it was interesting being able to see, you know, particular things, because when she wakes up in the hospital, uh, Madoka is already... Uh, for. I think for the first pass or two, I was wondering how she could have stopped Madoka from being a uh, magical girl, because it didn't seem like she looked back far enough, but... Madoka effectively said she's only been it for a couple days. And I think on the calendar, Homura was uh, like nine days prior to uh, to going to school. So effectively, she by acting immediately when she leaves the hospital, she's able to stop that. Uh, but uh, so she transforms and the end of this very show and the very next episode, it, you know, the the whole situation has been reversed, as it were. Uh, you get to, you know, watch her learning her powers, you get, but more to the point, you get to see the opening in action, as it were. Uh, you don't get a whole lot of Saika, uh in it, but we do know that she's also among them. But you get uh, a bunch of Mommy, just seeing Mommy back in action was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you you get the feeling like this is what a normal magical girl show of this stripe would have been. You would have followed Homura into a show like this, and she would have started to, you know, get confidence in herself and learn this stuff. This would have been a one or a two core thing about uh, Homura, you know, being able to be, be all she can magical girl be with her friends at that point. But instead of getting that normal show, everybody gonna die, and <laughs> she has to stop it. So now we're living on the other end of the show, where she is, you know, many months into uh, reshaping herself and re effectively reshaping the world and the magical girl she could affect, which is just Madoka and... Uh, 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 Madoka and uh, Sayaka. And I, I think it's interesting even more after you've watched it a couple times to come around the other bend because Madoka, by the end of this show, is a very particular uh, uh, type of character. And we we obviously know what's going to happen, but you get to see her in the, you know, most griefed part of it you get in multiple things both in the beginning of it and then later when it 
when Madoka is basically multiple times trying to fight Lopergus Nock, getting to the point of of being there. One one of the loops they've found out, you know, what magical girls really are. So over time, more gets revealed during the course of this, and she's basically saying uh, she now knows what Homura is doing as well, and she she requests that Homura stop her from. Uh, from becoming a magical girl it goes all the way to the point where you you've just done the full loop of uh uh uh, the name of the episode i won't rely on anyone anymore so hamura finally steps into her her ultimate badass form that we see in episode one and uh in the course of one episode and just thinking about what they do you you get a uh, an enormous transformation and, and cover a lot more conceptual time than you think going into just that one episode. Uh, Bama, let's go ahead. Let's go over to you. What did you think of the whole time skip story, the whole bit of Homer going back in time repeatedly? Uh, again, you know, basic impressions of did it live up to what you were expecting it to be? I think so. I was really impressed with it. I like time skip stories. Um, I was impressed that they managed to do it without doing it into the ground. I mean, it didn't, it didn't at all come off like a clone of Groundhog Day even though that's basically <laughs> what it was. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't look like it. It didn't feel like it. Um, I do remember being stunned at how much more confident Madoka was <laughs> when she was a magical girl. I was. Uh, my first thought was that they had switched places. And I'm still, looking back on it, I'm a little less willing to instantly buy that Madoka herself was so different. That that one, I'll have to rewatch it and see. I'm, I'm looking forward to rewatching it actually. But, right on. Um, yeah, right. Of that particular episode, th- those are what my thoughts are. Um, it, it it made sense to me, even though, like I said, Andy had to clue me into what was going on. Okay. Uh, Brandon, how about you? How did this live up to your expectations of what you thought was going to happen? Uh, well, I'm very much in the same boat. Like, my favorite episode of, like, any Star Trek series is always the time loop episode. Um, which, you know, there's always at least one. (laughs) So, I I was so ready for this. (laughs) Um, uh. I think I think it was a fantastic episode because so what happens is whenever there is a time loop episode or movie or something, when you watch it, you see it over and over with the expectation that it's going to end by the end of the episode or whatever. Right. Like and that's not what this episode is. It's not trying to say, here's the solution. It still doesn't know what the solution is yet. And so it focuses on a whole bunch of character moments, right? It's like, it shows you uh, Madoka that's happy, not just confident, but like, 
you see her like actually happy and having a good time and spending time with her friends. And like, you see hints of that, like in the first episode, but once the whole magical girl thing kicks off, she is like full of like trepidation and concern and hesitation and confusion, but you see her happy in this, um, as to like, Oh, did they swap roles? Like, I feel like this is the episode where the show is like, Oh, by the way, Monica is not actually the main character. Hamura is. Hamura is the main character of the show. Um, yes. Which, and, and you couldn't have followed that character, right? Like, that's not a compelling character to follow because she's so dry for so long. But she's like, she is taking an event and reacting to it and reacting to it over and over and over and trying to find the solution and working. Like, everything else that's happening around her is even by like the internal logic of the show sort of predestined to happen, right? She's making changes and that's what's causing, for instance, Kyoko to show up and for them to get along. Or, you know, in one instance, uh, Sayaka is not a magical girl and in another she is. And it's like, she's gone through so many iterations. Everything she does, she knows what's going to happen. And this time she's just doing it different to see how she can affect things, right? So, like, she doesn't know what's going to happen this time because she's trying something different. But this episode is saying everything else that happens is basically predetermined based on what Hamura is doing herself. Um, and I think it does a great job of, like, saying, yeah, no, this is really, she's the hero of this, even though it's, a, you know, Monica is the the heart of the team or whatever, and we're getting tropey with what that means and how she's mm -hmm. going to save everyone. And even there, Homura is actually responding to being treated well by a person, being a friend with somebody, you know? But, like, it is her drive to fix things that actually changes everything. How, uh... uh I, I guess I'll ask LB this first. <laughs> <laughs> In that final, kind of the, the final uh, uh, loop that's explicitly showed where they discover that, you know, Saika became a witch, they're forced to kill her, Mommy shoots Kyoko's soul gem and explodes it, killing her, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Madoka is forced to do the same thing to Mommy because, uh, before uh, she can kill the, re the rest of them. And then they basically can't do anything against, well, Burgess Knox, and that's when Madoka, you know, begs her to, uh, to keep her from being fooled. <laughs> what was going through you at this point? There's a whole episode of Fact, but right here at the, at the end of that, what, uh, what was going through your brain at, at this point when, uh, when you get just like, as dark as it's going to go effectively at this point this was another moment of the series where my jaw was on the floor tears were down my cheeks especially because we saw mommy again which i was so happy about because like i said i was team mommy all the way <laughs> um but we saw her again, and then suddenly she goes freaky Yandere because <laughs> she 
you know, learns the truth and she can't deal with it and she freaking, you know, goes insane with her guns right off right there. Uh, and then at the very end of the episode, when Madoka asks, you know, hey, please save me from this. Please stop this from happening. And Homura, you know, uses her power to start jumping back in time and it slowly starts eating away at her bit by bit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, my jaw was on the floor, tears were down my cheeks, I was heartbroken at what I was seeing. And then, like I mentioned, I had to wait a month and a half for <laughs> any kind of resolution. And that gutted me. At least you could watch that episode over and over again. I mean, I was going to make the joke that, hey, you had a month and a half to play it over and over again in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got to time loop the whole show. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Uh, now, now, before we continue onward, I'd, I'd asked previously, and I'm I'm sort of curious because I I don't know if it was ever explicitly mentioned how many times uh, Homura has jumped back. I don't suppose we're expected to believe that we see all of them during the course of episode ten, and of course we don't see much time because she does keep going back again but she's living at a month of her own time whereas with everyone else uh, so we're we're seeing her learning and training and and doing things because of the existence of groundhog day i tend to think that you know it could be hundreds if not thousands of of loops and that is part of her determination it doesn't feel like we would see her at the end uh, uh, when we're ending episode 11 and she's basically not even deciding to loop back, but uh, but grief is overcoming her at this point. To me, it feels like there's there needs to be an excessive amount of it. But you could actually fit a lot of this into, you know, a half dozen or a dozen loops if you want. So I'm just curious what what your impression was of how many times this has possibly gone on for. You know, I literally never considered it. I remember being kind of grateful that they didn't do any comedic bits hmm. because heavens knows if I was the writer, I would have been very, very tempted to do at least one very comedic bit where she just says, welp, and goes back and, and that wouldn't have been a very good move. But, um, no, I didn't really speculate how many times. I don't know. I guess I just don't think that way. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it didn't make a whole bunch of difference. I do remember wondering if the series was going, if this was going to be the final time or not. It struck me that the series may just say, and guess what? She's going to have to do it again because she failed yet another time. <laughs> Wait for season going. two. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was, I, I was, you know, <coughs> for that. I was a little worried. Uh, I figure it's got to be at least a hundred, right? Like I, I don't, she's slowly broken down, but like, I think that it's hard to fathom like how much she's seen. Right. 
because she's she's just learning how to make explosives right like that probably she learned a little bit over probably several months um because you know, like she's going to school and stuff like she she knows how to solve stuff on the board right like she's memorized <laughs> what those equations are which the third or fourth time you might be like I remember how to do this, but that's not what she's doing. She's not going up and looking at it and going, oh, right. It's something like this and then writing it down. She goes up. She doesn't look at it. She just writes the answer on the board, right? Like these are things that have been beaten into her brain that she can't like unsee, unknow. They're just known and instinctual. And so like I feel like it's going to be, I mean, at least 50, probably 100 plus. Who knows how many it could have actually been. Um but I mean, that, that's a lot of the show too, is that doesn't matter. You need to know that it's a lot. Um, and I think maybe to me, the more interesting question is, at, is there a point here where she stopped believing in her ability to do it so much is her necessity to do it? Like later on, Kube actually says something along the lines of she has to believe that this is going to work, right? And it's like, to me, I'm curious how far, how many times did she do this before she hit a point where it was not like, okay, I've got this idea and I'm going to do it, right? At what point did she just go, did she break? And she is, you know, she hit that point where like, well, here we go again, except it wasn't. It was like, shit. I got to do this again, you know, (laughs) how much preparation does she have to do every time to try to get that 10% more for her next effort? Right. At at what point did she say, no, I can't do this anymore. And she got sucked back and she was like, well, I guess I got to do it again. You know what I mean? Like at what point did saving Monica become not about saving her friend, but just as much about saving herself. You know what I mean? Yeah. What uh, what about you, LB? I don't have any theories on how many times she's gone through this. I agree with Brandon that the exact number isn't really important so much as just knowing that she's done this so many times that she could basically do it in her sleep at this point just because it's been drilled into her head so many times that she needs to go here to stop this from happening. And then she needs to go here to stop this from happening. Uh, I remember, I will say that I do disagree a little bit with Bama's assessment that there weren't any comedic moments. Cause I loved those moments when we first meet Homer uh, uh, and she appears and she runs up to Madoka and goes, I'm a magical girl too. <laughs> yeah. I I loved that. Oh, yeah, that was I thought it was hilarious. Adorable. No, I'm I'm I was talking more of a, a Bambi meets Godzilla kind of comedic. Got it, got it. Problem. Okay. Yeah. The the Bill Murray steals the groundhog, drives off a cliff kind of yes, it's a comedic yeah. moment, but you I, know, I was... if, if that's the going too far just wasting a a loop to mess around kind of thing i don't know Ooh. i mean when you've got a when you've got this as many loops as we're talking you can you can spare to waste one or two 
but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that that it didn't go that in that direction. Does make one wonder whether or not, like, is it driven by the same trigger point? Can she voluntarily rewind and hop back, or does it always have to be, you know, hospital bed when she wakes up to right there at the end with well, Pergus knocked. So no matter who other magical girls around or anything else does she have to see it to the end each time and that's when she can trigger going back because that's you know what she made her compact for but uh yeah i mean she she trains a sickly body that was constantly in the hospital to basically you know top athlete in the school uh i think what makes me consider it is what's revealed in the process of her battle with Bulpergusnacht next episode is just the amount of stuff going on. And like, yeah, how how do you find out like the secret military laser base? <laughs> how many times do you go there? And then what do you have to do to figure out how to uh, control such a thing? There, there's a, a level of implication that's like, damn, she must have been doing uh, everything. And not only that, but every time she loops, she changes certain things. So it feels like she knows exactly what's going to happen and always shows up in the right place with uh, Maroka and Sayaka uh, uh, during the loop we're seeing. But that's after she had already started making sure that they don't sign a contract right away. So she's been making changes and yet still knows what's going to happen after these changes are are made so it, it feels like the doctor strange looking at 15 million timelines sort of thing and investing time in each and every one of them indeed the the ultimate number doesn't matter but i've like in my mind there's kind of a vast well of uh, loops involved here uh especially because to, to get someone as determined as she is at the end of episode 10 and have us witnessing her breaking point uh, uh, seems to imply that there's just been so much failure going on. So I feel like it's, it's because there are answers to an extent, right? Like you see the end results of all of the things that happened. Mm -hmm. um, like back in like, I don't know, episode two or whatever, the existence of witches makes you automatically question, but where do witches come from, right? Like, you know, they exist. There must be a place that they come from because they weren't there, you know, an hour ago. So right. they come from somewhere, right? And so like all of the things she learns makes you wonder automatically just like, how did these skills come to be? How many times did she need to do this to get here? Um, and I think I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, for the amount of magical energy she uses fighting, uh, well, Pergus knocked, she was probably like, when we didn't see her, she was probably off fighting another witch somewhere because she was too busy collecting seeds so that she could come and fight this witch. You know what I mean? Like, she's probably, there's probably a dozen or more witches that she fights over that course of time that she has mastered beating every single time that we don't even know about you know what i mean like there's so much that we don't know 
And so you want to wonder about it. Um, it seems like a natural thought. Uh, I do also want to say, like, I think this episode kind of highlights her desperation, which I think is an interesting theme in this entire show, right? Like, against uh, Mommy, like, oh, yeah, these are opposites, but I think they are both desperate in a different way. But I think it's constantly, like, it in a way even says as much at one point, where it's like, the only type of person that should make this kind of contract is somebody who is desperate. And they are all making their contracts because they're desperate. You know what I mean? Right. And the idea is kind of that part of, I think the show is saying at some point that eventually when Monica makes her contract, it's not going to be desperate. And that is going to be a key part of what makes it different than everything else. So, all right, let's go ahead. Let's get into the final two episodes. We're already at almost two and a half hours. So let's go ahead. Let's get into the last episode. Two more the, hours. Two. <laughs> the last episodes of Madoka Magica, I basically consider them to be probably the most perfect anime ending, like, if not within recent history, then ever. Madoka Magica ends on such a perfect note for me that we'll get into this more a little bit later when we talk about the movies, because we're going to talk about the movies. Uh, but the and the TV series just wraps up and encapsulates the emotion and delivers the payoff in a way that I really couldn't imagine a better way for this show to end. I didn't know how it was going to end when I watched this. I just knew that I had been anxiously awaiting seeing how <laughs> it was going to finish for, you know, that month, month and a half, like I mentioned. And when I finally got there, it was just an exhale of relief. <laughs> and it was so cathartic for me at the time. Uh, and I'm curious, how did the ending feel to everybody else? Was it everything, was it what you wanted it to be? Was there, were there, because I don't really remember there being any real loose ends. I think they tied up the loose ends rather well with the last two episodes. But was there anything that anybody felt dissatisfied with? Uh, let's go ahead. Let's start with CT again. Mm, don't start with CT. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's start with Bama then. Okay. Um, I remember. Uh, I I believe you when you say you were relieved because I was relieved and I didn't have to wait a month for the next mm -hmm. episode. I I think I had to wait approximately two minutes because Andy had to pee. <laughs> you know, that was <laughs> um, how, I, how did you survive? I tell you what, it, um, it was funny because she and I were discussing, I, I said, well, there's actually several wishes you could make to completely undo this entire cycle. 
and and we discussed you know several of them in the you know in the, in the middle of all this um and and i w but i was unsure until it happened whether or not she was going to make a wish at all and she did and it was one of the ones that i had called so i, I was very pleased with that um, <laughs> I loved how her little brother remembered her name. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. And I, uh, but I think my favorite part was that Cube was on a more friendly ba uh, terms with the magical girls. And it was a little closer to what a, a, a magical girl genre, what you think of. It was a. It had been deconstructed, and now it was getting reconstructed, and I thought that was very interesting. I, I, I enjoyed the ending a lot. I, I really did. Uh, Brandon, how about you? How did the last two episodes and the ending with Madoka live up for you? I basically agree with just about all of that. Yeah, uh, it it does seem like it establishes a world where the magical girl genre makes sense. Um, uh, I think that it makes sense. I think that it pays off really well in a lot of ways. Um, it, I mean, again, it asks questions and eventually answers them, but it lets you sit with the question, such as like, okay, how much of this does Homura actually remember about what happened with Monica, right? Like, does she remember clearly that event? Or does she just remember that this was a person, right? And it's revealed later that she's aware of what the world was before that happened. She remembers the rules that existed. So yeah, she remembers all this crap. <laughs> um, and I think that's a really, like, it's nice that it, it lets you ruminate on what these things mean um i think that it's great that like madoka learned from homura like hey there's a way of making a wish that kind of messes with the cycle right like homura can't really die she can't turn into a witch if she does she failed and she gets sent back and that's kind of the answer you know um I think it it reframes all of their sacrifice throughout the entire show. Like all of the terrible things that happens, it contextualizes them and makes them feel far more satisfying that like, yeah, these bad things happened, but without them, she wouldn't come to this conclusion. Um, and so I think it makes, it's really hard to not be satisfied by it. <laughs> I, I, think, <laughs> I think it really hits the notes pretty damn well. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. No, so yeah, uh, he's I've been serious. I've he's been fairly, I've been fairly explicit before. I was going to ask you, LB, uh, you know whether or not you thought that it was, you know, the uh, the waiting you were forced to by circumstance go through. Did that, you know. Dig it. Is that what imprinted it as hard as it could on you? But then, while I was thinking of asking that, I'm like, well, no, I I didn't have that problem at all, and I have 
multiple times before mentioned that I don't rewatch the series, but when I get in the mood to re-experience, I just rewatch episodes 11 and 12. So uh, I will rewatch the series, uh, obviously, but I mean, I, I tend to do this with series in general. I will grab high points from it and just re-experience the emotions and my memories of the entire show through that. And with Madoka Magica, it's pretty much the final two episodes. Uh, so first of all, you know, the, the level of interesting battling Homura badassness in her confrontation with Walpurgis Noct is... Uh, uh, is just generally really impressive. <laughs> uh, the the amount of stuff we got to see a little bit of things that uh, you know they would consider uh, from episode ten when she's training, and then you you see her just doing <laughs> thing after thing, rocket launchers to mortars to exploding tankers filled with. C4 to uh, submarine missiles to again ending in uh, what is it sci-fi laser base of doom I'm really wondering what the practicality of that thing is did she commission <laughs> it to be built why would a city just have a a, a laser stadium <laughs> that could only kill a thing inside and I'm, I'm not sure about that but you don't have to think about it too hard uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, and you get a lot of that. And then you get to, uh, off to the side of that, someone who we really haven't mentioned, of course, was, uh, Madoka's mother, who's been one of the, one of the great mother figures out of anime that you don't spend a whole lot of time with, but you kind of feel like you do. And, uh, so there's the family there, the coming to terms, uh, Madoka, you know, stealing her resolve, uh, and joining everything. And then the, the nature of the wish, I think is interesting because I, I don't think it, it's conveyed in a way that, uh, Monica didn't, she wanted there to not be witches, which is fine. And the way that she, it's more the way that she expressed it translated into this universe rewriting thing because it's basically i i want you know all magical girls to still have hope at the very end and so uh she she doesn't really think about you know or, or have any concept of what it's going to do she just rides through it and in the end, she has written herself into the laws of the next universe. And, and yes, as previously stated, it's like, oh, that's the normal Magical Girl show. <laughs> we saw the before times when it was much more screwed up. She, she fixed it. That's fine. Uh, there are a lot of things that uh, uh, I found. There are very interesting little bits that you got here and there. I think one of the more interesting ones was uh, when Humura hops back into that universe uh, at the end when she's basically re-entered it. It's after they've been forced to kill Sayaka, who turned into a witch. And Mommy gives a little bit of uh, expression about, you know, 
what it means now. They don't turn into the witch before you've created an equal amount of misfortune as uh, uh, as you brought hope from your uh, with from your witch in the beginning. Then you're forced to leave. But when uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you're forced to disappear. But when uh, uh, Homura realizes what's going on and she just calls out Madoka's name, Bami turns to her and says, Akemi. <laughs> and that's one of those things that you just, you have to, uh, uh, what is it? She, the, it's, it's just her being part of the gang at that point rather than being an antagonist is uh, uh it it caught my heartstring in a weird fashion because i'm like oh they were all you know doing magical they were a proper sentai group up to this point and obviously uh it it got messed up a bit but yeah all, all of the loose ends um you get i think a concept of uh and i i guess my my one complaint I'll have to link into this scene as well because the scene between Madoka and, and Sayaka where they're watching uh, what's his name, Kamijo's performance as a high schooler and then the vision later of him as a professional like it's totally perfect but I, I don't buy the reasoning given. Uh, Sayaka did not have to die here, but it felt right. So, <laughs> there, therefore, it still had to be cinched in. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, Mommy's fine, <laughs> Kyoko's fine, and they all made wishes, and Sayaka didn't need to explode herself there necessarily. But it... it it wraps everything up as far as the series goes and uncomplicates what you might be invested in. It's like, oh, well, if Sayaka's is around, what's going to happen between her and Kamijo and Hitomi? Uh, <laughs> so it, it takes it out and it, and it is, it comes across very meaningfully and it gives you an idea. I think of what the nothingness is for magical girls, uh, because we see, of course, at the the after credit scene in, in 12, we get the idea that Madoka is still watching Homura and, uh, and that she's been, you know, mentally chatting with uh, her brother as well, which is why he's able to draw her and knows her name. There's a level of communication that uh, she's still able to express. And uh, when Kirijo's professional performance happens you know everyone's applauding for him and then the sound just kind of uh, uh, disappears and he feels Saiga's presence so it it gives you a little glimpse of that there is possibly some afterlife that you know the, the rest of the magical girls are kind of joining Madaka in this ethereal whateverness and uh, either because it was Saika's wish just to hear him playing the violin, or it's simply what they can do is there is still a little bit of uh, of experience that they can get from the 
from the main world. It, it doesn't answer any questions. It offers more. Uh, so <laughs> even though upon later rewatchings, I'm like, wait a minute, why? No, I don't quite get your reason why. It's still just such a perfect scene, especially after it was uh, following where, where Monica is sitting in, you know, mommy's room chatting with her and Kyoko. And all of them are just sort of the ideas. Of, they're not these other characters. They're the ideas uh, of them, either Monica's imagination or their spirits, their souls that she's able to commune with while they're busy rewriting the universe effectively because <laughs> they're talking about <laughs> the, uh, uh, you know, the, the effects of all of it uh, and the implications of what she just wished for. Uh, indeed, I like that, uh, you know, the world, you still have the, the cycle. So the incubators are still involved with trying to shrink, uh, the amount of entropy in the universe to prevent, uh, everything from heat deathing too quickly. Uh, it's interesting to have a scene between Kyube and, and Homura, uh, what is it where they're chatting about the uh, proposed other universe and Cuba is thinking like, Oh man, that, that might be more efficient. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but <laughs> we didn't get it along too well. <laughs> uh, but you also just got to see, you know, Humura back in action, but the fact, you know, Brandon's earlier comment about realizing, Oh, Homura is the main character of this show. Uh, even though it's, you know, the wish is centered around uh, Monica at that point, you're, you're seeing her and it's like, right, like, at the beginning of episode 10, she was the main character who you'd be introduced to a couple core of a regular magical girl show. And after the universe is rewritten, you're seeing she's the the badass uh, senpai uh, <laughs> character back in a regular magical girl world. Um, I, I especially love that she's using Monica's energy bow as her own weapon at the end, along with having the, uh, the ribbon. She's, uh, she's not doing, uh, she, she's no longer doing her gun and time tricks. She's just, you know, being Monica as a magical girl, as it were. And she's got big energy rift wings, and that's cool, too. <laughs> so all right uh overall impressions uh bama let's go ahead let's start with you overall what did you think of this show it's i mean you've said that you enjoyed it and you enjoyed the ending overall impressions did it leave you satisfied yes very much so um i overall it reminded me of evangelion which is a very very good thing for me uh, only with magical girls instead of Mecca and the inclusion of fairies. So, you know, it's a bit like somebody interviewed me and said, what, what, what is your ideal anime? And then made it for me. And here it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to rewatching it and trying to figure out from all the witches labyrinths, what the wishes were. It took me a while to realize that they were all different. And now, and, and then, of course, when I realized that it comes from their original wish, I just got completely fascinated. So I'm trying to figure out 
how quickly I could talk Andy into rewatching it with me, or maybe just carve out some time just by myself and rewatch it. So right yeah, on, Brent. Yeah, ten out of ten. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Brandon? Uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I think. Okay, a little bit of negative in that, like I think that uh, the the setup is it turns out to be great, but the initial like expectation immediately after the opening kind of can throw you off a little bit. And I think that at certain points it drags and it's a little bit contrived and some weird story stuff, plot stuff that I think is less than ideal, but still totally worth it. Like I, I think that this is a, a, an enjoyable show almost the entire way and a very interesting show too. Like this is just a small portion of it, right? Like you could talk about all sorts of other things about how like the role of men in this world, like they talk about, you know, men come up frequently, but like they talk about men in very particular ways. Um, How like, Monica's dad is a stay-at-home dad which is just kind of wild to think about <laughs> in in context you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, he's like such a supporting person and cares so much like there's there's a bunch of politics and feminism in it that I think is really interesting um, and I again like with the subversion of tropes I don't know that that's even necessarily appropriate like it's very aware of most of the tropes I, I feel confident in saying um, and it is a, being aware of it allows it to do things that are more nuanced um, and make for a really interesting show without being just like, Oh, you know, that thing that always happens, we're going to do the opposite. It doesn't, there's a couple of points where it does that, but for the most part, it's really interested in saying, Oh, but we're not going to lean on this. We're not going to fall back on this and be rote. We want to actually engage with these thoughts. And I think the, by and large, I think that's the more interesting thing about the show is, well, that it's interesting, right? Like I enjoy the characters. I think the characters are great, but I think that it's the really interesting way that it handles all of these things and deals with tropes and what these characters represent both to the show and to each other that really make it a standout, make it worth something, something that you really should absolutely see. So I have one last question that I want to ask everybody. Uh, CT probably already knows what it is. Uh, basically, with we've talked about the TV series wrapping up and basically just being very satisfying. With, but... I mentioned this in chat weeks before we recorded this, that there is a sequel movie. It's called Rebellion. Um, It's very divisive in that some people love what it did for the story. Some people hate what it did for the story. I'm not going to say which way I feel about it because I don't want to color anybody. But with the series wrapping up the way it is and now knowing that there's a sequel movie that is very a split opinion do you want to risk 
watching that sequel movie or do you feel satisfied enough with the story as it is that you don't want to go any further or do you feel the opposite and do you want to see more of these characters no matter what it might be uh and let's go ahead let's start with bama i hate to tell you i'm six one way and half a dozen the other you you (laughs) talk You tell me all this and I'm getting serious Ava vibes again. Um, I That's didn't... what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the ending of the series on one of those. And I... The movie was okay. I'm glad I watched it. I didn't like it as well as the series. And I haven't watched any of the remakes and I feel, I feel less than. <laughs> the shame! <laughs> okay. Um... So yeah, I I find it hard to believe that the movie would add anything that needs to be added, but I'm willing to give it a shot to find out. So, yeah, there you go. There's my lack of opinion. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> how about how about you, Brandon? I think that's pretty succinctly put. I don't know that there's anything that needs to be added to this. I'm still down to see what is added. It's rare that I think that a sequel can actually like irrevocably like damage the original like i've had it happen to me i can't remember off the top of my head what it was but it's very rare that that's the case and i feel like this package is so well put together and comes to such a a tidy conclusion that i it'd be very easy i think if i watched the movie and was like you know what this ain't great for me to just write it off and be done with it so I don't feel a whole lot of risk in watching it, so I'd totally be down to watch it. Okay. So, all right. Uh, I think that about wraps things up. Did anybody, CT, did you have any other closing questions for our panel? I don't have closing questions. I know we've ran over long, even over what we thought we were going to possibly run long on, but uh, normally I talk about things like studio and director and other stuff and that I don't think we have time or place for that but there is one thing that I think you would be uh, uh, sorely disappointed if we didn't at least chat about it for a bit and that would be the music the opening the ending and all of the music of the show yeah this is if if the others are up for it yeah, we can spend a few minutes on this. Do you guys mind? That works for me. <clears throat> if, if, if it's if it's a few minutes. Yeah. yeah, just yeah. We're already at almost three hours. I'm not gonna want to be spending a few more hours editing this. <laughs> uh, but basically, the music is composed by my favorite anime composer of all time, Yuki Kaijura. I think that she is she is the best anime composer in my opinion. CT and I differ on this opinion, but that's okay. That's right. <laughs> but basically the music for this series is probably some of the best that I've heard. It's not her best work. It is among them, but it is not her best. But even still, the mood that the music adds to this series is 
irreplaceable. There is just the sad moments, the somber moments, uh, when you have basically the harpsichord in the background just playing those soft solo notes uh, as the girls are shedding tears over the latest tragedy that's befallen <laughs> them. Uh, I think it's probably... There is no one else that could have done this justice. Um, I think that there are others who could have tried, but it would have been a pale comparison. The first note I wrote about the series was, I love the music. It's absolutely gorgeous. And yes, the I, I was really thinking the... Uh, the first music you hear, which must have been... Actually, I guess it wouldn't have been the intro. It would have been one of the light motifs uh, of the battle scenes. But it was the music yeah. is straight up gorgeous. And that's part of why I, I don't mind going a little... A few extra minutes to just sing the praises of this music. Because it does deserve it. Yeah. At the, I, that was probably the first thing that was... When I was like, hey this opens with a JRPG boss fight hmm. like the is a huge part of like delivering that and being like, these are the stakes that's going on right here. We've got this like full group of women that are like chanting and crap. And like, that's how you know that stuff is about to go down. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, like, I mean, I I've had like parts of it stuck in my head, like all week while I was like, washing dishes or whatever i'm like humming to myself and um i i am i am very big on music like in video games it's one of my favorite topics to talk about is video game music um and so like in this god the music in this is just it is fantastic <laughs> this is one of the few where i went in because i'm like okay i've rewatched the show i'm gonna listen to the osts on you know like rapid cycle for a while drive to work listen to an ost and a half drive home listen to an ost and a half uh <clears throat> certainly i think the the impactful ones are all where they have right the uh, uh female vocalist chorus going in there all of all of the big dramatic themes have the stuff all of the tracks interestingly are titled in latin and mean a thing so, you know, battle with a witch, uh, you should be a magical girl, a whole lot of uh, interesting stuff from there. And you're met with that in your very first scene. And the very end of episode one is when mommy transforms and you get these these ones that, uh, uh, that dig in. And then there's this one particular off track that is always where they're contemplating magical girlness and communicating with Q-Bay and very, very creepy. Interestingly, there are a number of tracks that I didn't really recognize or in fact felt like they were from a different show. And I'm like, well, I guess it was just kind of one-off <laughs> in here. But the, there are a number of them that uh, I suspect, you know, one reason Bama likes, they, they come across very medieval instrumentation and tonality much more ren fairy uh celtic folk I do uh, love music there music. 
there are a number of tracks spread out that uh, that come across like that. There's a really nice jazz flute one that I that I like, but uh, I think that does a a good way. I, I'm trying to think of you know how creepiness is easy to evoke. There are a number of tracks that feel like they came out of Castlevania. And I'm like, well, you do that. <laughs> That's it's kind of gothic somehow. Right. Uh, I don't you... know how to say it, like how to describe that it's gothic. Even the, the labyrinths, to an extent, feel gothic. And I, I don't know necessarily why. But they, well, I think the, uh, the chorus backing helps. Yeah. Uh, I find it interesting that Kajiura came up, essentially created a choral language that's kind of a blending of Latin and Japanese, and I assume she probably worked up a bit of a vocabulary for it, but you can't get a translation of the lyrics of the songs. They are singing explicit things, but it's something that she made up to be choral. I thought it was all Latin, but then when I'm examining them, I'm like, well, th this doesn't track as actual Latin. Uh, so it's 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 interesting that she basically made her own uh, language that just sounded awesome. And I'm like, yeah, that that's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, conveying magical girlness in general, I think, picking something that's a bit folk and medieval, uh, especially when you're talking about witches, it seems like it uh, cements just the the witch and magic concept even though it's a you know an askew future modern world uh and you even get a little bit of a glimpse of that during the end scenes where Monica has shot her her arrow of hope throughout all <laughs> time for all magical girls you you see a few of them who were uh uh you know, back in that time period, and real, and it feels like it's sort of linking everything together at that point. The uh, the, the music in general, and, and certainly the music that's in those scenes explicitly. The the fight with Volpergus Noct and then uh, uh, Sayaka Komura uh, uh, almost, you know, going out, and then Madoka's wish and everything that follows there. It, it, you can't help but listen to those end tracks in OST three and and not be uh, uh, kind of over overwhelmed, verklempt, as it were, uh, just through the music because it uh, it fits well. It's great stuff, and behind it is a, a powerful set of scenes. So, uh, good stuff. So, alright, on that note, let's go ahead, let's wrap things up. I'd like to thank CT, Bama, and Brandon for joining me tonight. It was a really fun discussion, and I hope you guys had fun as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. I hope you guys will come back, if you're not bored of us already. Wait, this was supposed to be a recurring thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, weekly, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, uh, and on that note, I'd like to thank all of you out there for listening to us ramble on for the last three hours or so. Don't worry, I will edit this down. Uh, 
take care. Uh, if you want to listen to these podcasts before anybody else, remember they go up on our Patreon first. That's patreon.com slash otaku review. And they stay live there for a week before hitting major podcast providers. And other than that, I hope you all have a great night. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Night, folks. Thanks.